Hello, and welcome back to the fourth official episode of the Global Guessing Weekly podcast. Uh, I'm Andrew, and Clay's here as well, and we're joined by um, a very special guest, somebody that we actually met through our Global Guessing work. Um, we have Ross here. Ross uh, not only has you know a lot of relevant degrees, uh, you know, relevant to geopolitics, but he also has the brand AR Global Security, which focuses on the current and future state um, of geopolitics and uh, you know statehood, cybersecurity, and all that good stuff. We're going to get into a lot of it in this podcast. So, Ross, thank you so much for uh, joining us, and welcome. Hi, you're all right. Um, so let's talk about um, AR Global Security. How you got started with it? and sort of your mainstream series on that this week in geopolitics. I think I've I told you guys before um, about how I started and like, I can't remember exactly what I said, but if you want to go straight to the basics, basically I left um, university, for my undergraduate degree in 2015, started applying for a few jobs um, quite unsuccessfully. And then uh, this one company, um, who I applied to, who weren't who weren't sort of like a big chain, if I can describe it that way. But they they weren't they weren't small either. They they just rejected me. So uh, I thought, why not just make a company that's sort of similar to them and just grow to the point where I outcompete them. That was pure. That was the pure logic behind it at the time. It was just sort of a wouldn't describe it as vengeance, but <laughs> just <laughs> that's what motivates you. Sometimes you got to do it. <laughs> And it seems to be going pretty well, right? You've you passed yeah. 100,000 followers on TikTok. You're getting up to 10K on your YouTube channel. I mean, things are going pretty well. How's that sort of success? How have you been taking it? Um, and just what's that sort of experience been like seeing that sort of explosive growth this quickly? Um, to, be, to be really honest with you, the, the, with the lockdown, it's actually sort of weird because it's just numbers on a screen. Like no, no one sort of... I haven't seen any of my friends or anything. I've, I've been on a walk with a couple of them and they said, oh, wow, you've got 100,000 TikTok followers now. And it's, it's weird. Like we see our, your videos on our For You page and stuff. So that was when it That's sort of, cool. the first time that it sort of hit home was, was then. But at the moment, w without being able to go outside and see anyone, it's kind of like, I don't really, it's not really hit me the scope of it yet. Like uh, 8,000 I think I'm nearly at 8,000 subscribers on YouTube now. It's not, it's not mega, but it's not, it's not. It's not nothing. It's not yeah, nothing. So, so it's kind of, yeah, it's, it, I don't know how to describe it really, to be honest with you. I just love, I'm just grateful for people actually wanting to listen to what I've got to say. And then obviously I'll try and keep things um, focused on the, on the actual stuff I'm talking about. Like a lot of people, I find especially, this is why I don't watch US news at all. I mean, I won't watch any US news because they make it, sometimes they make it a bit too personal, whereas I try and focus on the matter at hand and keeping it impartial. That's, and that's also another reason why I started the channel is just the lack of impartial media out there. Like you read, I, I, I did a lot of stuff. Obviously, I studied Russia for a year. So I studied Russian foreign policy and a lot of the time they're recommending like Radio Free Europe or have you ever heard of that that before? No, what's that? I've heard of Radio Free Europe. Um, Radio Free Europe is, was a, I'm not going to, I can't say it was set up by the CIA because I can't oh, no. exactly remember that, but I think it was set up by an American. Um, it's like US funded, I think. Yeah. So that was basically to get news to people in 
um, like the USSR, I think, into the, the communist bloc. And I, 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 we get re recommended a lot of that for my course. And it's just, it, it doesn't, it's, it does the job, but it's quite biased towards Russia, if you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously what the Russians do isn't perfect. What the US doesn't perfect, what the UK doesn't, does isn't perfect. But I just, I just think it's sometimes you need to keep it just impartial and let people see what they what, like let people decide for themselves like give them the facts don't withhold any any facts I, I, I will i will say things that are not good for the uk not good for the us not good for russia so i mean that's why i guess well sometimes my videos don't do so, so well on tiktok they won't do so well on youtube because they don't it's when you're impartial everyone hates you <laughs> so, because you're not taking their side right yeah exactly <laughs> But exactly. I, I have noticed that, at least as of right now, like your comment sections tend to be at least pretty positive relative to the larger internet conversation yeah. that happens around geopolitics. And I think probably that impartiality is really helping you out there because... Yeah, I mean, I don't moderate the comment section per se. I mean, if someone puts something quite profane on there or outright just says something wrong or like the sky's green or whatever, I'll just, I will delete it because... I don't that's just not it's not what I want for people that are watching my channel so right right yeah. as as Clay mentioned one of your most successful series is this week in geopolitics yeah um, yep. we were wondering you know are there some stories this week or in the past couple of weeks that you've been following within the world of geopolitics you know obviously things in Myanmar have picked up and you made a video about that um yep. yeah are there sort of stories that you're keeping an eye on yeah, try and keep me on topic because I will go off topic. But yeah, I talk about this week in geopolitics. Um, the biggest, the biggest one. I mean, Myanmar I haven't really focused on as much because it's been more protests and sort of domestic political stuff at the moment. Whereas I try and keep things between countries, if you get what I mean, more international relations. Yeah, in that sort of sense. But the the big one for me this week was the. Did you see the Chinese Russian lunar base news? Yeah. I thought that was quite quite interesting, actually. Um, Do you want to just give some context for that for the viewers if they haven't uh, sort of read that story yet? I mean, well, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I was reading about it before I came on this, and trying yeah, to. Uh, so I was thinking about trying to make a video, maybe a TikTok video on that. Okay, um, great. So they basically, I think they've just laid laid the plan, the foundations, the plans to put a move. I think they said in orbit or on the surface of the moon, looking more likely on the surface of the moon. Yeah. Uh, there's not really much detail on it at the moment, so I think it'll be quite interesting. But um, That's fascinating. That's yeah, I'm fascinating. Trying, to, trying to link this to your sort of forecasting because the reason why it was interesting for me is because obviously China and Russia, the relationship between those two countries, to, to build a space, to build a lunar base together is quite a big thing. Massive commitment. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of... And the, the relationship between China and Russia, in my view, it isn't a sustainable one. It's not like a lot of people say, oh, China and Russia are like this, are kind of allied. And whereas, I don't know, I, I view it as more, along with a lot of other analysts, a lot of other people as more of an, uh, I think the word, the words were an axis of convenience. Like they're, mm. they're, they're, they don't, they only cooperate because they have a common enemy. They don't. Yeah, because, I mean, China and Russia themselves have their own disputes, especially, yeah, like, inside into Asia around, like, Mongolia. There's a lot of Sets. disputes yeah, there. Yeah, Central Asia is a big, is a big, 
competition is a big place uh, place field of competition for them um especially like kyrgyzstan i think china claims two-thirds of kyrgyzstan of, of its territory like i don't know and then and russia kind of views that post-soviet space as its own backyard mm-hmm. and obviously china's building the belt and road through there um i don't know and then the big the biggest one for me between russia and china is is siberia it's just like so a lot of people don't really cons- like don't really talk about it but so, so i did an essay on it for, for when i was at king's when i was studying russia and uh siberia is a big point of contention like obviously russia took a lot of land from china um back in the day and a lot of that land now has resources is and as the as as the climate warms siberia is going to become habitable and what and china's population seems to have exploded so there's a sort of if you if you go on google earth and look at the border between russia and china in sort of manchuria you can see the difference straight away like the chinese side of the border the cities are sort of everywhere um there's farm the land the land's used for farm you go on the russian side there's there's so little in the way of of farmland and um urban areas there's just a stark difference and I don't know. This is what I was going to say. I'll link it to you guys as forecasting. Is is I'm quite, I sort of, I'm a geographically deterministic. Like that, that, that. Surely there's some point of contention there. Like if something happens in the future, I'm not saying tomorrow, but maybe in the next sort of fifty years, like things can change in a big way. Like if China just suddenly decides that's ours again, or I'm, I mean, I, I'm sort of throwing things out here, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. quite. And then, obviously, to build a lunar base is a big commitment. So I don't know. It was just an interesting one for me. Obviously, this, the stories are going to develop a bit more. And then, obviously, last week we had the the Silk Road announcement, like the Polar Silk Road announcement. The I was going to bring plan. that up, up. That one, I thought yeah. that one was really interesting with China having the Arctic base. And what did you, so for those of you who don't um, know, in in Ross's last week, this week in geopolitics, he talked about. China wanting to have a, an, an Arctic base, investing in there, and particularly for trade routes, because as the ice caps continue to melt, I believe, um, shipping um, up around the Arctic will be, did you say it was 30-something percent faster than going through the Suez Canal? So um, it's two-thirds of the time going, yeah, I think 30% would fit. So two-thirds of the time to go to go through this. So if you went through the Suez Canal, 66% of the time my maths isn't great, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a third shorter is basically what I'm trying to say. And um, that has massive yeah. implications, right? Especially yeah, for yeah. China, that's such an export-heavy country. Um, yeah, absolutely. Do you know I, what I sort think... of other geopolitics of the Arctic is? I, I, This is an area that I know very little about. I mean, I, 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 that's what I wanted to sort of... I wanted to write my undergraduate dissertation and my uh, master's dissertation both on the Arctic, actually. So, But yeah, basically... I think by 2050, I'm sort of throwing out a rough ballpark guess there. Um, so well, I'll say guess. That, that's when the, the Arctic may be ice-free for all sort of large parts of the year. So obviously you have the Northwest Northwest Passage, which goes through Canada. Um, there's sort of like you can get through there. And there's obviously, uh, I don't know if you know that, but know this, but there's a dispute between sort of Canada and the wider world, mainly the US, about about whether... 
the Northwest Passage is an international waterway for use by everybody, or whether it's a um, domestic waterway within Canada, uh, mm. and so that Canada um, has sort of discretion over who passes through that as well. That's that's really interesting. Might have to do a video on that. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, um, coming up. Yeah, so that's the way I write. I just write things down when when I sort of go through different topics, and then I just build on top of it. But yeah, you got the Northeast Passage as well which is going to be the big, big one because Russia is looking to develop that area sort of in the high, say the high north, I'm not quite sure if that's the correct term as well, but that's the sort of term they use for Scandinavia and places like that. But yeah, that sort of area is is starting to become, will become, become increasingly important as we sort of go forward into the 21st century. I would say I'd we basically at Kings we had a massive um, walk sort of crisis simulation they called it. So we did um, we did the Arctic for that simulation, and it was quite interesting because I had obviously studying geopolitics. I had to make the map for it, so I had to map every single um, military base in the Arctic, pretty much. And the Russian ones, there's big big moves on the part of Russia in terms of the military going in there. The US. Slash NATO just opened, reopened a base in Iceland as well a few years ago. So obviously it's starting to build up up there as well. And China coming to town as well will be even more interesting. Do you think, I'm pretty sure that in the Arctic, there's a really large supply of like undiscovered oil and like yeah. natural resources. Do you think that's part of the, uh, the sort of land grab, so to speak, that's going that's on right now? Huge part of it. I completely forgot about it. But yeah, on top of that, you got the, you got huge oil reserves up there as well most of them in the Russian exclusive economic zone. Mm-hmm. So I think that it will be a pretty straightforward game, actually, in the Arctic, um, sort of delineating the boundaries of the exclusive economic zones. And obviously, well, I think, I don't know how much you know about sort of maritime law and international law. Sort of like the distance from shore out, out into yeah. the water that you have sort of sovereign reign over? Yeah, so you get, tw- so each country gets 12 miles of territorial waters which are sort of their waters. I mean, I think yep. ships can pass in it if it's, it's sort of a reasonable sort of thing. But then you also get 200 nautical mile exclusive economic zone, which you have the rights to exploit the resources in there. And then you get on top of that, you can get, um, you can if you prove that your continental shelf extends further out, you can also claim that as well. I think that's the only point of contention in the Arctic that I can think of. Other than that, it's sort of looking towards more of a cooperative environment. I mean, a lot of people would beg to differ, but from what I've read, it that's the sort of way it seems to be going. I mean, Russia, Norway, Iceland, Denmark with Greenland, Canada, the US, not entirely. Ever, some people like to sort of make out there's going to be a big point of contention, but I think those countries, there's a low likelihood of them ever go going into outright war over it basically is what i'm trying to say yeah, but yeah then does that make it valuable for the u.s to purchase greenland was uh yeah, Trump's smart think, all along thing about the trading that, routes that was one thing i had to say i thought was a smart move um on the part of trump a lot of people seem to sort of say how stupid it was but i just thought well you get that all that ex- exclusive economic zone the arctic that coastline on the arctic i mean the us has tried to buy greenland before so it's not really new but yeah it it was quite interesting is it it denmark that currently has like quasi control over greenland i'm watching a foreign show about 
I think it's Denmark, and there's a whole episode about Greenland. So that's really my basis of knowledge here, which is not yeah, the strongest. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, that's so. It's, it's, it's a weird not fully one, autonomous right now. It, they are pretty much that they're pretty much autonomous. I mean, there was I think there is some debate about becoming independent, but it's not very. It's not. There's not much. I think they're too economically reliant on Denmark, but there was there was some weird stuff between about Greenland and fishing rights between the, the EU member states and stuff as well. It's, it's, it's all sort of linked. But yeah, they've, they've, I think they're sort of very autonomous. EU member states really care about fishing rights, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's big, big deal. Big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. We discovered Portugal and they, they definitely care about their fishing rights. They're right yeah. on the border. So Yeah, exactly. And, well, they've and, got lots and, of And the UK also cares about their fishing rights. That was their, yeah, big, absolutely. That was their big victory <laughs> in Brexit was that they got to keep all their fish, right? Or 66% yeah, of their fish. Yeah, I don't. I don't know the exact details on the fishing, but the Brexiteers don't seem happy about it. And then <laughs> I don't really know. I don't know how to explain it. You asked me about the exclusive economic zones. Rock. Have you ever heard of Rockall before? I haven't. Nope. Can you spell it? R O C K A W L. I'm only sort of joking with you. It's like this God. weird little rock in the middle of the Atlantic that we we claimed in in i think it was the 80s or the 70s to extend our fishing rights and it was a big big hoo-ha over it between sort of us i think ireland and and iceland maybe that's That's, quite funny that was a focus of our lectures when i was studying geopolitics so i think these zones are going to become a lot more mainstream as you see more activity in the south china sea and you know in the mediterranean with cyprus and greece and turkey and what's going on there and um you know portugal has has two islands that they have autonomous control over um, that they've really used to extend their uh, EEZ out yep. even further. Um, so I think it's only going to become more common, you know, as territory around the world sort of tightens up. There's a yeah, yeah. Back, so everybody you, needs to leverage. You said about talking about the future of statehood and stuff. Well, that's just that is the the fact that the that countries are sort of jostling over the sea now is just this sort of dem- demonstrative of the fact that there's not much, there's not really any land left. There's no land anywhere on the world that's not. It sounds sounds fairly obvious, but there's there's, there's not the space that we have is starting to be used more and more for different things, and the, yeah. the countries are turning to the sea because you can you, you just look at sea farming as a technology that will come in the future. Oil, um, every, you know, what I mean, resources. Yeah, and actually, you, you just mentioned that uh, future of statehood video, and actually. We'd like to talk about that a little bit because that yeah. is the first episode in your ARGS Classic series. Um, yeah. I thought it was a. Me and Andrew have both watched the video and we're both big fans of it. It was really interesting. Um, I believe it. You derived it from your master's thesis. Yeah. Um, and yep. so I was wondering if you could first just sort of give a sort of brief summary of the argument that you make in that video. Um, I also have on my left, which I'll I'll show the viewers when we get to it, the sort of vertical horizontal layout diagram yeah, yeah. as well. So so that that was my framework that I came up with for my. So I did an essay on why states no longer need territory, and I did my dissertation on how states can have a mix of territory and and so they I called it a hybrid state. So you'd have sort of ethnic minorities in different countries being able to. Be direct citizens of the country of their sort of home state is quite hard to. So I, I don't know where to start from really. But yeah, the reason the reason why I made that series is because 
um, a lot of people think geopolitics is sort of the relationship between different states and that 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 does come into it but for my course it was i went into it thinking oh i'm going to be learning about how russia and the us uh, interact and how certain things but geopolitics is more focused on boundaries and the use of space and borders and all of that stuff and i was so glad that i did that course because it, op- it just it opened the way for this channel i i learned about obviously i can talk about exclusive economic zones and um, the classic series was to sort of bring it back to that and look at the sort of the founding thought of geopolitics. Um, so that video, I don't know. You, you guys should probably ask me questions. Yeah. Why, so I don't really know where to start. I'm probably so, talking quite a lot as well. So no, no, no. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start off with my <laughs> attempt at summarizing um, it, and then we can have a discussion. So you yeah, say yeah. that recently that there have been a few sort of trends that have happening. There's the rise of these really powerful multinational corporations that are sort of approaching governance in many ways. You have the rise of the internet and cyberspace, which is sort of having this time-space compression, um, which is the idea that sort of like geographic distance matters less because um, people and capital can travel across the globe either instantly if it's capital or people within 24 hours. And you say that that could possibly lead to this idea of deterritorialization. Um, currently, yeah. states are defined as having a permanent population, a government, a capacity to enter relations with other states, and a defined territory. And it's your argument that because of these effects, that that sort of fourth pillar is going to go away for at least some semblance of states. So that yeah. you end up with this creation and I'm, I'm showing the diagram for your video, where you have the sort of traditional territorial states where people live as being the horizontal states, but that they can also be citizens in these sort of extraterritorial vertical states. And yeah. what I thought was really interesting about this idea that you mentioned is that having these vertical states leads to sort of competition um, for taxpayers, right? It's going to sort of have more efficiency in governance because people can choose where they are, they're sort of vertical citizen, and they're going to go wherever is the most sort of efficient for them. Yeah. Um, well, that's kind of happening already. Sorry to interrupt. When you yeah. think about it, you've got, say, Barbados and Georgia, two countries that, not the US state, by the way, um, but th- there's two different countries that have opened up working visas for people. And people, like what, like personally, if, if my channel ever gets to the point that, where I can sort of work from anywhere, where I have I have that income, then I might maybe move to somewhere like that because there it's a competitive. It's, it's a nice place to well, they've got the better weather first off, but um, yeah, it's just comp- competing for people, aren't they? You can, you can. There's a lot of, as I say, the physical distance is start starting to become irrelevant. So you you can people can work from anywhere. Sorry, I'm, I'm just yeah, going off no, the no. Carry, and, on, carry on. And then you you focus on this sort of the main example being Estonia, which yeah. I knew a little bit about Estonia before this video, but you give a lot of really interesting details. So for those of you who don't know, Estonia, after it got its independence from the Soviet Union, realized, you know, we can't sort of rebuild this public infrastructure that sort of we can physically provide all our goods and services. So let's try to digitize it. And it's something like 99% of Estonian government services can be online. 99% of Estonians have a digital sort of ID and presence. 
Um, something like 40 something percent of Estonians voted digitally in the most recent election. And so yeah. you sort of present this as the example of not a fully deterritorialized state because Estonia, you know, you can still travel to Estonia physically, but that there's a large subset of Estonians through e-residency that live in Estonia and access Estonian sort of services, but don't live in Estonia. Um, yeah. and I was just wondering of sort of a, a few things like we just talked about countries trying to go into the sea and trying to sort of create more territory and i'm wondering sort of how deterritorialization sort of interacts with sort of re-extra territorialization i don't know there's <laughs> there's not there's not a word for it but you know what i'm saying right like you have yeah yeah these sort of two aspects um and then also you know, there's some people that are saying that we've sort of like reached the apex of globalization, at least yeah. in the short term, um, and sort of how that might have an effect on this idea. Um, I mean, I need to I need to make a follow up to that video. There's a few things I missed, and I am going to do a video called "The Geopolitics of Cyberspace," which will go into um, sort of greater detail and in, in what I meant by a lot of things in that video. My, my favorite sort of, I mean, uh, oh, how do I explain it? Sort of the ge the classically geopolitical thing. Why it's classic is classics is because it is about. I don't know how to explain it. I'm I'm sorry, but yeah, the uh, we just we sort of read about a lot of thinkers back in the day. So I don't know. Let's check out a few names. But you had Ratzel. Um, what's his name? Mackinder people like that um sort of came up with theories about the relationship between people and states and territory and organic theory and um but i think we need to do that in the, in the modern day like um the, the 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 base of our society has just completely changed i don't think a lot of people realize like how big of a thing cyberspace is and in that video i'll try and link it back to the video but um cyberspace is becoming a space in itself I, in my view like as a as a i mean i'm not sure how how old you guys are actually i, I like to think you're the same age as me um i'm 24 yeah yeah, yeah same as me same yeah, as yeah, me so but um younger. you guys look older than me <laughs> uh not in a bad way though in, in a mature in a mature way but you know what i mean but yeah um yeah. it's a lot of people don't realize just how in, like the internet is my life at the moment effectively mm -hmm. because of lockdown uh, everything i do is and in, i interact more with people over the internet than i do in in physical in real life and obviously that has implications for things and um yeah like i mean like so, just to jump in like i i think our generation is one where our sort of ties are yes both towards like i am an american you are british but yeah also the sort of internet communities that you're a part of, right? When I was yeah. in high school, I would say a larger part of my identity than being American was being in the Call of Duty internet space. And that yeah. for me was the dominant factor. If you were to say like, where do your allegiance lies? I mean, it probably went Modern there Warfare first. <laughs> I started in Black Ops 1, although Modern Warfare 2, good game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I started off as a quick scoping sniper and quickly oh, realized yeah. not for me. <laughs> you're probably better than me, to be fair. But you, no, you're 100% you're right. That brings brings identity into it as well because like you say I, I i probably identify more with people like myself you guys on the internet like i probably have more in common with you guys than i have a lot of with a lot of people in in the uk 
Um, and obviously the video sort of talks about how that say we were to form a state, us three, we wouldn't have any territory. We could have a government. Andrew could be our, uh, I don't want to say anything too bad for the stream, but our leader. And then uh, Clay, you could be our, you, me, you and you and I could be citizens. Like uh, that's all, also in the video. It doesn't explain. I, I focus a lot on corporations, mm -hmm. but uh, I should have also probably mentioned how people could just get together and make their own state. What was to stop people and provide their own to, services? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even 100%. had that kind of in really in a really small sense during the COVID thing with people for providing their own sort of education yeah. with those sort of uh, learning pod bubbles. And I know it's that's sort of very disproportionately a very privileged side that created their own state. Yeah. But if we're looking at who generally creates their own states historically, um, I mean, the Bolshevik Revolution is its, its own thing, even though there were a lot of elites. But they it, it tends to be those people that create the states in the first place anyway. Yeah. Um, it's such an interesting idea, this idea of sort of having these two citizenships because you know facebook and twitter do provide services to people that government doesn't and so in some way you sort of are a citizen of the twitter universe in a way um, uh, yeah absolutely i mean google all my videos are written on google uh i get paid by google for adsense um for my for my videos uh, i use google maps every day <laughs> i mean google i interact that that's sort of something I maybe I didn't mention, which I certainly mentioned in my dissertation was I interact with Google more than I interact with the British government on, on a day to day basis. It's just it is the way it is. And I think the state system needs to reflect that in some ways. The, the, there's the, 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 like you say, Vladimir Putin, this was in the this week in geopolitics as well, a few weeks ago said that um, many of the US social media giants are now competing with states and I, I have to say i agree it's just facebook like the, the arab spring for example facebook was instrumental in that and it's just a very powerful tool do you um, think that any of sort of this um deterritorialization that we're talking about comes from you know the fact that in a lot of regions around the world you know these states aren't natural occurrences. They're very much sort of artificially formed. And so in that way, you know, it makes sense that there might be sort of crumbling um, yeah, yeah. because they weren't founded on, you know, something that was too solid. Yeah, that actually brings two things to mind. So obviously my latest video will be on Mozambique and Mozambique had its borders drawn by, drawn, I assume, I don't actually know that much, by the British and the Portuguese. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the, the insurgency in Cabo Delgado in northern Mozambique is between uh, well, I don't know if it's, I can say it on YouTube. I don't, I don't want to go. Uh, it's between two religious groups. Sure. And obviously the border was drawn through that, those two groups. And there's, they, I don't know what the situation is like between Tanzania and Mozambique, but the people in, some of the people in Cabo Delgado have more affinity with the sort of, I think it's the Swahili culture that sort and the, and the Sufi brand of Islam that goes down the East coast of Africa. Mm -hmm. um so obviously i don't know where i'm going with this but yeah, <laughs> they um they that yeah that that's the point you know, like you said the borders are drawn i can't remember the other thing i was going to say now but yeah obviously oh that was it um i think if if statehood is deterritorialized like i said in the video 
it could help people that live in regimes where they where their citizenship is worth nothing like some like they have that list of passports every year that have the, the most powerful passports in the world and obviously as british and american people we probably don't appreciate just how many countries we can go to of our passport like a lot of places you can't go to certain countries whereas if you had a let's just say for example probably get a lot of stick for this as i did in my videos amazon you had an amazon passport and amazon you, you where could you go with that if amazon amazon's in so many countries in the world like it has as a if it was a government it would probably have good relations with many countries i assume mm-hmm. and maybe not with a lot of people but with many countries so <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's like those pe- people who people who live in those sort of regimes, they could. So North Koreans, for example, they could get a passport for a different country that doesn't have any territory, and they could use that to go uh, that citizenship for, for whatever ends, I guess, are best. Yeah. Um, yeah I had yeah. a another question about one of actually before we get to that, it's about the hybrid warfare video. But yeah, one thing that you had mentioned in the. Um, the future of statehood was the sort of rise of multinational companies. Um, and I just sort of wanted, you said that they were sort of rising and becoming really powerful. And I was just wondering, like, how are they, how is their power different than say, like, um, all of the major sort of colonial companies back in the 1800s, which sort of were like the drivers behind a lot of colonialization product, uh, projects, whether it's the East India trading company, um, the that american banana company that everyone yeah the united fruit company that there we go like sort of how how does the power of sort of google and facebook and amazon sort of compare to those countries right because historically companies have always played this sort of large role in geopolitics interesting you bring up hybrid warfare as well well um obviously warfare isn't necessarily people marching at each other from from trenches or sort of even even sort of, I think it's third or fourth generation warfare where I think, for, actually no, fourth generation warfare is hybrid warfare. The third generation will probably be, I mean, I haven't got, I haven't done that much research into it. Um, Gorilla maybe? Yeah, there's, yeah, sort of maybe World War II. Um, but fifth generation warfare is, is basically not having to lift a finger in terms of kinetic ability so it's overthrowing governments using cyber and political avenues of warfare and link it back to companies is where i'm trying to get to what's to stop it what come like you say facebook and google they have so much power what's to stop them well like i say that the the, um arab spring what's to stop them overthrowing governments with their with their political their raw political power that they have they can basically like influence people's opinions and and then in the t- and in terms of no one as well yeah exactly seemingly. and and like i said in the video they could use private military companies like the growth of pilot, private military companies has has been huge in the past sort of 20 years and if governments can hire them well i, th- I assume p- private companies do already hire them and that's just, a scary thought yeah what what is the what is to stop a facebook or google hiring a private military company i mean i don't know if we get a stick for this from youtube no no it's a it's an interesting question yeah um you know a lot of times private military companies are used you know so states can sort of 
uh, shirk responsibility, you know, for certain things that might be deemed inappropriate for a state to carry out, but maybe more okay for, you know, people like Blackwater um, to carry out. So that's a, that's a very scary thought. Yeah. It all, it all comes back to this sort of, what I said in that video of the future of statehood videos, the fluidity of everything. As technology, as technolo technology advances, everything becomes more agile and more fluid and it becomes more harder linked. Harder to control. Yeah, harder to control. Like if you have blockchain um, at, at the moment, actually, uh, you guys should get on there as well. Have you ever heard of Odyssey before? Is it a trading platform? No, it's a, uh, it's a video hosting site. It's called oh, Odyssey. Um, I mean, if I, if I could, I would like to move. A, like, I, I would happily um, focus on Odyssey because it's, it's cryptocurrency based. It, everything on that, vi on that website is on blockchain, so it can't be deleted from the internet by people right. that might want to, I don't know. And, and you also get paid in cryptocurrency for your video. So if, if someone watches your video from a signed in account, you can get like sort of 20p a view. Oh, 20p, I don't know what that is in cents, but it's a, it's a good return. 20p a view? That's, that's a really great return. Wow. Yeah. That's what I think. I think it's, that's what I said on mine. I don't want to, don't quote me on it, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's Quote Ross. No. <laughs> it's, um, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a really cool website. And well, I can't remember where we've gone from this now, but yeah, it's just everything. Yeah. The, the fluidity and the block, like blockchain technology as well will be, be huge. Everything's just sort of, it, and yeah, this is where I was trying to go with it. Warfare is sort of, is separating but mixing at the same time like political warfare that's this another focus of my channel is i try and break everything down into cyber kinetic and political warfare which are the sort of the three main aspects of hybrid warfare and everything's hybrid now that my my uh small wars lecturer said oh every war's hybrid and always has been but now it's becoming nowadays, increasingly a, hybrid right like yeah kinetic used now, to take the vast majority of it and now the other aspects are sort of more yeah. becoming equal in it um the physical force aspect is just is decreasing big time so no yeah um just going back quickly to you know we were talking about wars and sort of the future of wars and what it might look like this hybrid warfare model um do you see sort of conflicts picking up in frequency over the next like 10 to 15 years do you see them you know like a lot more sort of smaller conflicts civil conflicts or will there be you know an impending you know big conflict on the horizon um the idea of thoughts about that uh i just want to say i'm not an expert on these things before people sort of uh, yeah you know what i mean i'm not like yeah, a, yeah. i don't have I have a master's degree but i don't have any credentials to my name the, the, geopolitics is, for me is just sort of a passion like it's, i'll be i have a day job as well i'll be walking around the streets for my day job and i'll be thinking about geopolitics yeah so, fascinating stuff uh, that's sort of where i get my not expertise but sort of knowledge knowledge is probably the right word for me. just just to get that out of the way before but yeah obviously yeah. so what was the question bigger uh, more frequent conflicts in sort of hybrid fashion yeah yeah do you see like more conflicts happening on a smaller scale or you know fewer but they're larger conflicts or, uh, you know, just trends in general well, i actually couldn't tell you i mean the obviously the world is becoming more multipolar um yeah sort of the cliche thing to say nowadays because everyone that does international relations or geopolitics says that sort of thing. but it, it is trending that way but obviously the, yeah. the u.s is still out on top but yeah no in terms of in terms of smaller conflicts um i don't know make perhaps 
I'm just thinking, I feel like hybrid warfare sort of levels the playing field, so to speak, right? Like there are some countries that maybe didn't have the military force to be able to, you know, uh, survive a conflict or initiate conflict with another yeah. state. But now that you're able to, you know, damage another country through cyberspace or other means, it feels like, you know, the opportunity for conflict is now rising. You, you, you've brought an example to mind straight away there. You've jogged my memory, but look at the United Arab Emirates. Have you, have you watched my video on the United Arab Emirates sort of? plug my own channel a bit here but um, i haven't seen that one yet what's it about it's, it's quite an old it's a fairly old one it's not great quality but the united arab emirates is um starting to make big moves like in the in the red sea area the gulf of aden yemen it's not publicized really at all but uh trying to link trying to in, link this in the red sea right sorry it's this video That's, right here yeah 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 the um so obviously the, this link everything i talk about links in a certain way if you know what I mean. This is what I was saying about everything merging into one. The right. United Arab Emirates is hiring private military companies and sending them to Yemen. Well, I can't. I swear, it's not an, in the f official capacity, if you get what I mean. I don't want to outright say it on here for misinformation, but... Allegedly. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot. Many of, people are saying. Yeah, yeah. And um, they're, they're using hybrid strategies in those countries. Like, they're gaining political influence by buying up ports uh, i think the buy ports world is um looking at eritrea quite a lot there's i think it's asab and masawa i can't I, my pronunciation is terrible djibouti they just got kicked out of djibouti a couple of years ago i think uh the, the djiboutians sold their port concessions to the chinese i think or yeah um, i think that's the only chinese military bases in djibouti yeah yeah uh, funnily enough the the uh, i think it's quite close to the base like the port concession that they i think it's dorala it's called uh, Berbera in Somaliland or, or Somalia, whichever you want to choose. Mm -hmm. Puntland as well. Have you heard of Puntland before? I haven't. It's, it's a Puntland. Puntland, no. P U N T L A N D. So basically, the I can't remember what city it is, but the UAE has has sort of gone against the the actually Dubai Ports World is banned in Somalia, yet they they operate or and the United Arab Emirates has relations with Puntland, which is an autonomous region of Somalia, and Somaliland, which is a breakaway separatist region of Somalia. So that sort of links in with the hybrid sense. They're, they're garnering political influence in those countries and using the private military companies to fulfill the kinetic aspect that they might not be able to fulfill themselves. Uh, I'm not sure what the population is of the UAE, but yeah. obviously they don't have a military, as strong military capability um, of their own so they, they use other people uh cyber i don't know their capacity but it, it's interesting like it's just um every as i say everything's merging into one and that's how they're mo making their sort of geostrategic moves i mean a lot, a lot of people use the word geostrategy but i think it sounds cool so i use it quite a lot it's um, a great word yeah. do you think that <laughs> states word. are sort of getting it seems like states aren't prepared for hybrid warfare especially big states like the United no. States that have sort of just been able to coast usually with posture and threats in cyberspace. It seems like they're pretty vulnerable um, to hybrid attacks, whether it's like directly to infrastructure online, um, to disinformation, elections, cough, cough. Um, potentially no. elections. There's no evidence <laughs> that would work. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm thinking a lot of Americans have money tied up in Bitcoin um, oh, yeah. We know that well, China has a lot of the mining power on Bitcoin. 
Who's yeah. to say that if China were to engage in hybrid warfare, they wouldn't try to do a 50 plus percent attack on Bitcoin and cause Absolutely. havoc in that way? So, you know, like, are there states that you think are getting better prepared for it? Do you think a smaller country like the UK is better positioned to sort of defend themselves in, in hybrid warfare? Um, so the, the UK and the US, I mean, as I get, as I say, I'm not an expert, but it just seems like we're a bit slow at the moment. Like we're just, we're not, like Except Russia, for vaccines. Except for vaccines. vaccines. Yeah, yeah. We're pretty good at that. We, we can give ourselves that to be fair. Um, we're just a bit, we're, we're sort of a bit cumbersome in that regard. I mean, I think the UK has, the UK is starting to move towards, I'm not sure about the US. But I think we 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 were going to have an army without tanks at one point, or there was some sort of news story about us not having any tanks anymore. Because what what use are tanks? You just get you just get a drone to blow them up. Like and you look at Nagorno Karabakh, um, Turkey won that war through giving the Azerbaijanis drones. Um, it's just the tech the technological side of it. But yeah, what, what was the question again? The states are. Um, different states yeah like sort of like which states if any are sort of positioning themselves better to handle it um russia russia 100 percent um russia has quite obviously that with this collapse of the soviet union i think their 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 military just got just fell apart and was um I, i remember i remember learning about the chechen war and people the, the soldiers selling their weapons because they were so poor and then they were selling them to local militants and obviously now that's sort of turning around and they're sort of thinking to the future they don't have the resource it's like you say estonia doesn't have, didn't have the resources it built a digital state the russians they, they want their great power status and their um standing on the world stage then to do that they need to have a adaptable army and a, a power, an army capable of projecting force in all avenues of warfare cyber kinetic political they're just i don't want to say they're the the world's leader because i I couldn't tell you i don't i don't know if anyone could tell you that but they're sort of they are they are thinking that way and i think the u.s is starting to cotton onto it quite a lot after crimea obviously and the the donbass and um stuff like that but the the u.s is probably the best at fifth generation warfare i'd say like look at um the recent protests in in russia and and belarus uh, i i could almost say for certain that uh the us probably has some sort of connection to it and ukraine as well most certainly the Euro- the european union certainly does as well i mean navalny navalny's a whole interesting one for me i uh, i don't know how much you know about alexei navalny but he's not popular within russia at all uh, he's sorry i think your audio's gone Oh yeah, no, I was no, just no. saying not at all. Yeah, yeah. The, the, he's got a little cult following, but yeah, not not the yeah. majority. I wouldn't say. Well, in the West, we turn on the tap, and we're, everything's Alexei Navalny's great, and but uh, we're I probably going to forget about him, right? If we were to make a forecast, just I mean, we gave up on um, uh, oh Juan Gialdo, the 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 Venezuelan, right? Remember the Trump administration? Oh. There was that. Yeah. I can't remember his name. Do you remember name? when like everyone was like, oh my god, like they're gonna yeah, it, yeah. It, it was with Maduro, right? Yeah, that, so that, getting... that sort of struck me as fifth generation warfare, as in you trying to politically change the country instead of just marching in there and having regime change as well. Um would you consider the Belt and Road Initiative sort of fifth generation warfare in that like it's not even really warfare, but it's you know, if you think about 
warfare in terms of, you know, trying to gain influence in, in another country. I feel like China's doing that just through economic development yeah. as, opposed to, as opposed to, you know, troops on the ground. And they seem yeah. to be successful so far. You, 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 uh, this links back to the classical geopolitics as well, because you look at heartland theory. Uh, I'm not sure how much you know about that. I think Mackinder, I think his name's Halford Mackinder. He went, he went to my school, actually, funnily enough. Uh, he's, he's, oh. not, he's old boy sort of old school geography uh, one of geopolitics. the fathers of geopolitics right yeah yeah, yeah. um he uh i shouldn't have said that should i people know i went to school now <laughs> 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 but yeah he, um heartland theory is like if you control sort of central asia uh eastern europe places that's what look at where china's moving into the belt and road initiative china mm -hmm. uh, eastern europe central asia russia then you if you control the world island you control the world. Exactly. So, uh, in, what was it? What you saying? It's in terms of hybrid, or yeah, I yeah. just feel like the way that China's been getting influence is sort of in that fifth generation model, where it's not, it's less military focused and more gaining influence. Uh, yeah, more you know, peaceably. Anti-imperialist foreign policy, I think, is the word, or non-imperialist, or something like that. I Unless you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait. Um, oh, we and, can't. And I the think world we can talk about Taiwan. <laughs> like the world island is also interesting just from a U.S. perspective. Clay and I have talked and, you know, I've told him that uh, one of the things that was so troubling about the Trump administration for me was that it felt like we were uh, sort of losing a lot of influence on the world stage. And as it was happening, uh, you know, Eurasia was sort of congealing and the world island was coming together. And I think we're seeing that more with yeah. you know, this China-Russia collaboration. The U.S. could be left on the sidelines of, you know, the next. 50, right. 100 years of geopolitics. I think um, after Brexit, kind of you will always have us off the Brexit, I think. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> you right. You ask Brits, but uh, I'm just joking about it. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, but then again, you, you look into history and you see before the Second World War, the, the sort of isolationism in America, like it was no one really wanted to, I'm not sure about the First World War, but it's just obviously you have these historical trends and I think they stem right. from geography. But the US is... It is a it is a isolated place when you think about it. I mean, probably less so now because Mexico and a lot of South American countries have sort of developed a bit more. And before it was sort of the U.S. and Canada, was it not just chilling over on in the, <laughs> just there wasn't they didn't have much of a connection. Yeah. Before so, but now so, again, yeah. sorry, carry on. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, normally, towards the end of these podcasts, we like to do a few rapid-fire questions and also oh, predictions. You might not be a super forecaster, but you are not going to get out of this without making two different forecasts. Um, but the first <laughs> rapid-fire question is something a little close to home, just talking about post-Brexit. Um, what are your thoughts on Canaz UK, the idea that Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the UK makes this English-speaking... Um, sort of European Union-esque uh, country yeah, yeah. to sort of stand out in the world stage because alone they're kind of small. That's an easy one. You, you, you've that's easy for me. Um, I yeah, I think it's a good idea. I, I think it's a good. Maybe even include the US to some extent. I mean, I would love. I mean, it, they're all just nice places to visit. I would yeah yep. be. Uh... <laughs> um, one of my passions is is sort of um, traveling. Another cliche passion for you, but um, I've met so many. So many European people, and uh, I've met a lot of people from from the Anglo sphere, so to say, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada. 
in the US as well. I met a lot of Americans in there. I, I get on very well with them. I think it's probably the language aspect of it. Uh, we share the same humor. That's a big thing for me. I like, I'm a big fan of humor. Well, the Brit- standard issue brand- British sense of humor. So I get on really well with people from those countries. And we have a lot of legal, cultural, everything similarities. So I personally, I would love it. I mean, New Zealand looks amazing. So I'd love to go there. I'd be able to live and work there. Or I wanted to go, I want to go to Australia as well, maybe work for a bit out there. So it, all the more, if we can, um, if we can get together and come to some arrangement, I'll be perfectly happy. It's good for me. Perfectly good for me. I, I'm not sure about the rest of the UK. Um, but we got at least think, one on board. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think the UK as well, we're sort of the bridge for a lot of those places to Europe as well, because we are obviously in Europe, um, not in the European Union, but we're in Europe. We're close, we're close by, we're neighbors. We are a European country. But at the same time, we sort of look out to those countries, the US, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, as, I, I don't know, There's a we have an affinity with Europe and we have an affinity with those other countries no no matter if we're in the european union or not i've still i've still i love germany i love latvia yeah. is one of my favorite countries oh, i absolutely love lithuania poland's great as well uh can't say anything about france uh <laughs> you know british people can't speak about france uh <laughs> just can't yeah. no yeah no I, I i think it's good to balance it for us i think it's good i just obviously i want what's best for everyone cliche yeah, again but yeah all right, and then two forecasts. What is the likelihood that Putin annexes more territory in Eastern Europe in the next five years? Um, I can't see him touching the Baltics at all. Uh, say it like say it like it's nothing, but Belarus. Yeah, Belarus will be an interesting one. Uh, I mean, it's a very culturally similar place to Russia. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not sure what the situation with Lukashenko is at the moment because. Obviously, they're having a const- They said they're going to have a constitutional referendum, which is obviously a, th- a lot of places. A lot of outlets were saying is driven by Russia and basically maybe getting Lukashenko, Lukashenko to stand down to sort of take the heat off the government. Maybe I, I don't know. Uh, so I don't know if Russia will sort of do a Ukrainian-style frozen conflict there. Doesn't seem likely, but I don't know. I can't say anything. Ukraine. Oh, that's an, that's another interesting one. There was um, I was listening to a talk the other day about frozen conflicts um, in the post-Soviet space. I think one of the guy that was t- was given the talk said that the the Russians might move, might sort of create some movement in Ukraine to test the Biden administration. So mm. that'll be quite interesting. Obviously, I think Biden has. I mean, there was that whole scandal, wasn't there about? Biden and Ukraine or whatever. I don't know. I don't know much about it. But yeah. yeah. He has some sort of link. Biden. Yeah. He has some sort of we're links there. So it'll be... Yeah, no, we won't. We'll stop there. But yeah, obviously, you know, what I'm trying to say is obviously he has some links there. So it'll be a good place mm-hmm. for Russia to sort of... And also one of his first important policy actions was to publicize this additional Ukrainian arms sale. So then what What? What percentage does this all work out to? You got it. You can't just say unlikely. We need a we need a number that way. Do, do you do you class Georgia, Azerbaijan, and uh, Armenia as part of Europe as well? Or I'm not sure, but I don't think that. Well, anyway, I don't. I'd say ten percent for it out there. 
Okay. You can and cut then... the bottom part if you want as well. No, no, we're... <laughs> everything stays. And then no, no, okay. the second forecast is what is the likelihood we credibly detect alien life, cellular Ooh, protoorganisms in the next 10 years? And let's say one, just evidence that life used to exist, and then another one just for um, living and past life, say. Oh, yeah, that's a good one as well. I'm quite interested in UFOs. But I mean, you can't see behind me, but I've got a big X-Files poster on the wall. Uh, oh, that's a classic. I want to believe. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, what, <laughs> I, I think they already know. I think the government, I think probably getting into conspiracy territory here, but I think governments probably have some sort of knowledge. I'd say, I mean, what this, is it the Femi paradox? Fermi paradox that says that the statistical probability of there not being life is greater right. is less than the the probability that there is life so I'd, I'd say that maybe aliens have visited earth already this is probably not good for my channel views but throw it out there anyway um yeah it, 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 it is the internet it is what the internet of, yeah 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 um we're getting a bit joe rogan there aren't we um but yeah <laughs> I do dmt now <laughs> Yeah. So no, um, I got to yeah. come up with a percentage here. Yeah. I? So one um, for one for currently living life, and then one just for either living life or evidence of past life being announced in the next ten years. Yep. I mean, a hundred percent certainty that there is both of those, but being announced, fifty percent. I'm going to go for fifty percent okay. for both being announced, or just historical. Oh, pre sorry, previous, previous. Okay. Historical, maybe historical. Bump it down to twenty. But the, I reckon they'll announce that they've found alien life in, in probably in the next decade. So we'll say 20% yeah, I mean, currently living life files. and 50% yeah, and... just uh, any kind of alien life. Yeah. Okay. That's actually within the, the scope awesome. of our other guests as well. Cool. So we'll Who get back to you in five to 10 so years done. And, yeah. we'll, uh, <laughs> and we'll tell you how you did. We can, we can, hopefully we can uh, talk about it over a pint at one of London's. Exactly. Pretty lovely pubs fine establishments yeah um, <laughs> or we'll go to a spoon so before we close out if it's about drinking you can talk about it i mean go yeah. ahead yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but before we close out we wanted to one give you a chance just to once again plug you know your different channels and the stuff that you're working on um but also we just wanted to ask as we close out what you have planned for the future what your um and our viewers can look forward you know to coming from your channels and in, in the near future that's a good one. Both linking with each other, what I was going to say anyway. So number one, more cooperation with, with you guys, hopefully. Um, yeah. We're good to get more stuff, maybe even do a series together or something like that. I'd, I'd throw it out there, whatever. Um, yeah, excellent. I want, I want to set up channel memberships on YouTube as well. And within that, I want to sort of... I want to, the, 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 the name I'm going with at the moment is the ARGS Intelligence Hub. So... Where, where I can't put put out a video on everything at the moment, um, which I'd actually I'll keep it to the future part of what I'm going to say. But yeah, um, just posting links to news stories, making my own sort of images, like um, I don't know how to describe it, not sort of magazine style images, but different maps and gra graphics, that's the word, graphics on stuff and posting that in the community section and keeping people engaged in the channel itself, making it more than a YouTube channel is what I'd like to do. That came out pretty well. It sounded pretty good. <laughs> good advertising. It sounded great. That's yeah. exciting. I, I want to just make things a bit more interactive and 
maps. Um, obviously, I love maps and did geopolitics. That's why I got into geopolitics. I'll, I, I could probably, ne- I could, if you put a US map of the US in front of me right now, I could do every state for you, I reckon. That's oh, better than me. It's better than me. I can't do that. I don't think. Yeah, it's better than probably a lot of Americans. Yeah, don't actually do it. <laughs> I probably could. No but... worries there. Yeah, putting stuff like that up, and eventually, want to build to more subscribers. I want to um, enhance that as well. I should probably get my plan up. There. I made a sort of plan of where I want to go. I want to get to the point where I can go to places like the Red Sea. I'd love to be able to go to the Red Sea and do some live reporting there, or head over to. I don't know. Actually, I'd like to say Central America. Chile is one I'd like to go to. So one video, uh, let the competition know here, is the Mapuche conflict in Chile. I'm going to do a video on that. I don't know if you've heard of that before. I haven't. That sounds really interesting. Clay and I are actually talking about potentially getting down to South America at some point too. So, you know, if all the trips line up, let's make it happen. Yeah, we we can do it. I want to do documentaries on stuff. So I'd like to go to places. like I don't know if you watch much of Vice News back in sort of, the, the, the day, old like, vice was really great. Like in the peak yeah. vice, yeah. Yeah, so 2014 Russian roulette series was just, that's what got me into geopolitics and politics. Yeah, you, the, I think it was Simon Ostrov just going around Crimea and Ukraine and just, it was just on the ground. That's what, that's where I want this channel to go. I want it to be, and I want it to be impartial as well. I don't think Vice right. News is very impartial as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's really yeah i just want that's where i want to go i want, I want to do everything pretty much um Great. like i say that that company that didn't give me the job they're gonna i just want to make them regret it yeah i, th- I think they already are i think they already are. Um, uh, I'm, I'm that kind of person i don't take things lying down or if someone well they didn't wrong me but if someone says i can't do something even wrong I'll, I'll go and do it and i'll spend years of my life doing it. i'll dedicate myself and i don't really care what people think I don't like people give me stick on my videos. I'll address it in the comments section if if I'm wrong as well. If I'm wrong, I'll change right. my mind. That's a big thing. I don't think a lot of people do that. Nope. There's new evidence. I'll change my mind. Um, but yeah, that's. I just want to expand things as much as possible. Uh, if cooperation with you guys is in that as well, like forecasting, we could intertwine our stuff. Maybe I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think you guys are. I like I look at your guys' stuff. I think mean, yeah, that's really professional. I mean, some of my stuff because I make it. There's only one of me and um, right. There's a bottleneck there. It, yeah, it's it's not as polished. I, I like I really like the look of your website and everything in your podcast, and it, that's where I'd like to get my standard to is just that sort right. of slick level. It's really it's really cool. Because like we actually love your videos and the way that you do all the graphics on that, especially the way in which <laughs> yeah. you do Google Maps. Um, I well, think those... this is, this and is also an the way in which I really like the B-roll footage you look. I think you pick some of the, the, the coolest shots. Um, I think on yeah. the most recent one, when you had the, the, the fighter jets come in, just yeah. I think you're I, I really like the way your videos look. Um yeah, so you, you guys can find Ross. His website is arglobalsecurity.com. On Twitter, it is at arglobalsec, and his TikTok is arglobalsecurity. All of those links and more will be down in the description below. Ross, thank you so much for taking your time today and speaking with yeah, us. We know it's very one. late over the... in the UK. And that is Global Guessing Weekly Podcast, episode four. Thanks, everyone. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just, just say to the audience, come yeah. over to my channel. I'll, yes. I, I, you'll notice I, re- I reply to all of your comments um, as much as I can. Even on TikTok, I have a thousand comments on some of my videos. 
I'll, if, if people like my stuff, I'll go through liking every single comment because I really do. Subscribe, go follow, yeah. go go support the AR Global Security uh, yeah. community and become part of the hub at some point when it launches. Absolutely. All right. And now that is the ending. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Lovely to speak to you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye.